Well, we continue to witness the impact of our divisions over such things as science and history. It's become almost commonplace these days. The old saying goes, you're entitled to your opinion, but not your own facts. But that seems less and less believed these days. So why is that? And what motivates people to act in one way or another based on reason versus emotion, fact versus fiction? To help us understand all of it, I'm joined by Dr. Travis Langley. He's a distinguished professor of psychology at Henderson State University and author of the acclaimed book, Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you great. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously everyone loves to talk about the books, right? But I, I want to ask you a little bit, of course, because it's such a fascinating subject, but I want to ask you first just about, um, you know, I've been looking at some of the articles you've been writing in psychology today of late to deal with a lot of sort of uh, everyday issues from a psychologist's point of view. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where is this division between opinion and fact? Where is it? It seems to have really blossomed in the past few years and especially during the pandemic. And I just realized from a psychological point of view, how is it that we can't agree on things or seem not be able to agree on things anymore? Well, we all want to feel like we personally have a better view of things than everybody else. And it, I mean, it is from the beginning of, of life. As soon as we're figuring things out, you don't know the difference between opinion. and fact, it's all the same thing to you when you're small. You're going to have to learn as you mature that there is a difference, that uh, your opinion is an opinion. A key aspect of critical thinking is learning to be aware of our own assumptions and to recognize them as such. And we, and we don't like to do that. There, uh, we like to think that in this chaotic, unpredictable world, we are better able to predict things than we really are. And the, uh, the older we get, especially, we have a very strong uh, resistance to changing our beliefs. People who change their beliefs very easily, uh, well, they seem wishy-washy. And so we get really rooted into us. It's like, I want to hang on to this because believing this is part of who I am. And especially if you've made a public commitment to it, you don't want to look like a hypocrite. You don't want to look wishy-washy and you will convince yourself of the things you've said. And there is this dangerous escalation of commitment to whatever we've already done. It's, it's the thing we said, it's in our opinions and it is even our, our view of facts. What are facts? You know, the facts we know for certain now, we do know they change. And so we like to really dig in on the things that are in our heads. It becomes, I, I guess, it becomes an identity issue as much as a, an opinion yes, or fact issue. Very much so. Um, it is a, an aspect of identity. That is why the public commitment on an opinion makes a big difference. Um, if, um, if you've got an opinion in your head, but you haven't expressed it out loud, you more easily change in response to new information. If you've expressed it out loud, the tendency is to pay attention to the things that confirm the beliefs we've already expressed and ignore the things that contradict or interpret them in ways that are creative or just say, nope, they're wrong. It is if we change our beliefs, and of course, sometimes we change our beliefs, but if we change them, it doesn't come that easily. And it makes us feel bad for having been wrong. So, I mean, one of the things we've been dealing with or looking at the past uh, little while is there is a protest going on in front of Canada's parliament in Ottawa uh, mm -hmm. involving a group of uh, people opposed to vaccine mandates. That's where it began. Uh, but, you know, opposed to sort of 
a lot of the public health measures put in place to cope with uh, with the pandemic. And one gets the impression, just listening to what you're saying, that if I took the time to get in my vehicle and drive hundreds of miles, you know, thousands of miles or thousands of kilometers mm -hmm. to a protest like that, I've hardened my position. I'll be less likely to change my mind. Yes. Um, and just the, the time you mentioned right there, the time and the effort, anything you've done there increases your commitment. It's like the person who has bought a lot of lottery tickets and finally sees that, okay, these aren't great, but I sh they, they still kind of feel like they, they should at least invest a little more to recover what they've already lost. And that's not how that stuff works. But we, we don't like to accept a dead loss. In, not just in terms of money, but in terms of our time and our energy. And yes, the, the, as you're on that drive, say it's a three-hour drive to go join that protest, you've got three hours of getting further and further from where you came and closer and closer to, well, I'm here now. And, and there is, there's this group connection that forms among protesters, you know, among those who go along with something, well, there's not really a, a strong emotion associated with it. There's not a group factor the same way that there is when you are in this group that's protesting. It's a high energy situation and they are forming connections with each other. They are reinforcing each other and they, there's a, that feeling of being united helps you feel stronger. It reinforces what you're uh, doing there, and it uh, and it, then it heightens. It's, it becomes a vicious cycle too, where it escalates itself. I, I think we see that sometimes too, in how people considered to be outside the group are treated, even sort of passers-by, and you know anyone who's sort of identified as not being part of the group all of a sudden then becomes um, clearly someone not to be treated with, you know, not to be treated essentially with 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 kindness by people in the group itself, not not exclusively, but we seem to see that as well. Yeah, it is this, this in-group effect. If you're not in the group, well, you're. If you're not in our in-group, you're in the out-group, people who aren't us. And it's it established this, this us versus them wall when, you know, logically it doesn't necessarily have to do that, but there is, you know, it's ancient. People form connections and there, we have this, some of these things are wired into us or learned have been passed down for centuries, even if they don't fit the world we live in now. They may have made sense in a more primitive time, but they're still getting passed along, reinforced in just enough ways to keep going. I'm speaking with Dr. Travis Langley, a professor of psychology at Henderson State University and author of Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night. We're talking about sort of protests and groups and what gets people to think the way they need, they, you know, what, what bounds a group and how do they come to think the things that I think? And that is one of the things I want to ask you about is, is I mean, a lot of people who don't believe in what they believe in will call it manipulation. Uh, mm -hmm. But we see that these days, especially with social media and, and, and how much siloed thought there is. I'm a victim of it too. A lot, of course, of what I see on social media sort of plays into what I already think, I imagine. So I try to get out of it. But in terms of manipulation versus motivation, how are people being manipulated these days in terms of the information they receive? And I guess from your standpoint, what's the impact? What's the impact if you already think something and you're being told it again and again? Yeah, there is this narrowing of the information that comes in because we have our own self-selection bias. We, we select the information I mentioned earlier. We select the information that reinforces the ideas we have, but other people will do that as well. The people who agree with us 
they they'll they'll jump in on the conversation they'll join us the people who don't agree with us will either get to arguing and that just makes you dig in your heels more or they don't want to mess with you and they'll stay quiet and out of the way and that seems like oh well that's acceptance that's not a problem and uh, online things like google and all the others with their algorithms to make you see more of the news that you're already looking at. If you are of one particular political view, your search history is going to cause you to get more things that reinforce that. If you are on the opposite end of that, your search history will lead to things that reinforce that. It, it is difficult to see how that will change without the search engine designers deliberately making changes. And they've made a few, but you know, they, they don't make money by letting everybody be peaceful. I'm, even Batman's popping up more in my searches today after I, I knew I was interviewing, <laughs> you, interviewing you. So I started looking up stuff and here Well, that's comes. just a good thing. That's a good thing. You can't go wrong with that. One of the things, and this is sort of where we started off uh, coming to you with this conversation was if that, all that's, if all that is true, how mm-hmm. do you motivate people to change their minds, whether it be about getting a vaccine, about accepting a vaccine mandate, about wearing a mask in a public place, um, or about, you know, simple science or simple historical facts about not denying the Holocaust, for instance. How do you get people to change their minds when people nowadays seem to get more and more cemented in their beliefs and have more and more sort of options to go out there and reinforce their beliefs? One of the really important things is um, recognizing when somebody with a different point of view has some points you've got to recognize show recognition for their intelligence show recognition it's like don't just say you're an idiot for not agreeing with me that's not going to make anybody go oh well i want to like you it is you you find the things where they have some points there's what we call a one-sided argument and a two-sided argument the one-sided argument you just argue your side and nothing else and that works really well when you're talking to people who are already inclined to agree with you it just makes you sound strong and assertive and they're going yeah if you're going to be talking to people who are not inclined to agree with you, you need to make a two-sided argument where, yes, you make your case, but you also acknowledge points that they have. Another really important thing is humanizing people. If, if the Holocaust example you brought up, for the people who don't want to believe the Holocaust happened, it helps to introduce them to survivors. Uh, people who've been skinheads, some of them have said that part of what helped them a break out of that and break out of that mental trap they had been in was by getting to know members of some of the groups that they had been uh, objecting to. There's if there are just so many things involved. There's no one. There's no one cause for it all to begin with, and so there's also no one nice, neat solution either. I'm back with Dr. Travis Langley, professor of psychology at Henderson State University and author of Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night. Before we move on to the Batman phase of this conversation, which I'm fascinated by, um, we were just speaking about what motivates people to take up a cause, say, opposing public health measures put in place to fight a pandemic, why we believe what we believe, despite sometimes evidence to the contrary, why we believe who we believe, uh, despite sometimes evidence to the contrary, and also hmm. what best motivates us to change our minds. So we left it off with motivating to change our minds. Do you have hope that we may be able to bridge some of these gaps that we're seeing these days? Yes. We've seen changes. We've seen people 
you could say give in and get vaccinated. And for some of them, it does feel like that. It, 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 some of them, it is hard for them to make that decision. Um, a lot of people see things, learn things, pick things up. And honestly, I think some would welcome an excuse to do it without looking like they've contradicted themselves. You know, for example, uh, where there's uh, a tax instituted on unvaccinated individuals. Well, that sounds awfully strong. That does give somebody an out. You know, where one of the things with uh, when you have this cognitive distance and these escalations of commitment is that um, if you look like you have a strong external reason, you know, like, you know, if you can say, well, they put a gun to my head, so I had to do it. You don't feel this internal conflict. You don't feel like a hypocrite. And so uh, some people will find things like that. Other people will learn the hard lessons. Uh, there are people who they've gone through it the hard way. And then, then they say, yes, uh, this is real. We need to take it seriously. And, you know, once you're vaccinated, you're vaccinated. So the numbers of the vaccinated keep going up. I believe we've lost Dr. Langley just briefly. No, I'm here. Oh, you're here. Sorry about that. I just was, I was so enraptured. I was so listening. <laughs> I, I forgot to jump in and ask you the next question. I apologize for that. That makes a nice segue then to go into Batman a bit. Cause I'm just really, I think you must get this question all the time, we only have about three and a half minutes left, but uh, just a bit about your fascination with the psychology of Batman and what we can learn from it. Cause it is an interesting subject. Yeah, Batman, you know, the superhero without superpowers who has always fascinated people from when he first appeared. He's one of only three superhero characters that have stayed in print consistently since the golden age of comics. He is the one without superpowers. He is the one he is very human. He is a character that is defined by his psychology. And so his enemies have to be defined by their psychology, too, which makes the stories more complex. Uh, this, is, this is a character that lets me talk about psychology in any aspect. Uh, I discovered some time ago, I was teaching a psychology and literature course and found that students were learning so much more about real human nature through the fictional examples because they didn't have their existing biases. They didn't have existing prejudices when they're looking at these fictional characters. There's a reason Star Trek was able to talk about all kinds of topics on TV that nobody else was talking about in the 60s because they were doing it through that filter of fiction. And Batman being such a human character, let's just talk Talk about any aspect of it uh, through your know, social development, moral development. You know, what does it take to decide you need to be the one to take on a system uh, that you can and should do the thing that the authorities won't? You know, how do you decide it's it's a logical thing to do to dress like a bat and run around and fight crime? And as silly as that sounds, there have been real people in the world who had to hide their identities to do the right thing there. You've got to look at a pretty tough system before you go decide that it makes any sense for somebody to be a vigilante or to be a rebel, but there are real world rebels. And part of us, we, we still have some fascination with those rebel heroes. And that even ties in a little bit to what we were talking about uh, the groups uniting over those protests. They feel like rebel heroes themselves. It is a compelling narrative to feel that way. And, and with the Batman, I, I wrote the book 10 years ago and I've got a second edition coming out in March because so many things have come up in the past decade. 
especially thanks to the Affleck movies with people looking at uh, the characters' views on killing and guns. So I've got you know one whole new chapter on that. But the other new chapter is about this character's ability to inspire people inspire people in his world and ours there it's not just batman there are a lot of others but i've I've heard from people talk about how these fictional characters have inspired them in their own lives even uh, suicidal individuals who they're they're shutting out people in their lives and yet it may be a mental conversation with a fictional character that helps them make the decision to stick around Dr. Travis Langley, fascinating. I look forward to seeing the next edition of the of Out in March, you said. A yes. follow-up to, to Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. Well, thank you. This has been fun.